Memorial Day weekend. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, I served in the Army as an Army chaplain and deployed to um, Iraq, Iraqi Operation Freedom. Um, and uh, to uh, uh, 2009 to 2010. So one of the things that we like to do um, is observe Memorial Day. So um, there's a short video that I'd like for us to just watch together. They are more than just names. More than blocks of stone set in rows. More than memories. They are our brothers and sisters. Our parents and our children. Friends, loved ones, and even strangers who believe that we were worth fighting for. That we were worth dying for. They stand for justice. For courage. For heroism and fearlessness in the face of danger. They stand for the brave men and women who selflessly answered the call and gave their very lives for the cause of freedom. Let us never take their sacrifice for granted, but instead remember with gratitude those who have served. Today, tomorrow, and every day thereafter. By the grace of God, if we walk upon free soil, if we breathe in the sweetness of liberty, let us give thanks. Let us honor the fallen, and let us never forget. Somber note, maybe, to begin on this morning. One of these days, I'm going to learn a lesson and just have somebody else preach it. seen outside of a family's home at a flag that waves with a blue star, white backdrop, and a red border around it. That, that's a flag that someone in that home, either a family member or a child or someone within that family is deployed. But when that soldier is not going to be coming home alive, that star changes to gold. And that family is called the Gold Star Family. This time of year, I receive a lot of Facebook messages and text messages from commanders and fellow soldiers uh, that I served with. That we lost soldiers when we were in Iraq. And just remembering those days and remembering those families. And I just, I would ask that you, I know Memorial Day weekend is, is a great weekend of celebration and of, of vacation and of school tomorrow and enjoying those things. Um, just ask that you would take a moment during this time and parents teach your kids take time to tell your kids what this day is about even go up to the fraternal cemetery here and you just wander through and you can see all those U.S. Army U.S. Navy, U.S. Air Force U.S. Marines, it's written on the tombstones and 
the dates of death. And just talk about those things and, and share with them that the sacrifice that many men and women have made for this country and that God is working and using these days of remembrance to work in our hearts and lives. And so I just pray that you take time to remember this And I'd like to just take a moment and pray for those families today right now. Father God, I thank you so much for the ability to live in this country. The ability to gather on a Sunday morning and just Praise your name. And Lord, we recognize that this is you. We recognize this is possible only because of you. Lord, we also recognize that you used um, a lot of different things to accomplish your purpose and your means. So one of the things that has happened is, is the, the loss of those who have served their country and those who have, who have died and not, were not able to return home to raise their children, to the aunts, to the uncles, to the grandparents. And Lord God, I just, uh, I pray that you be with those families. Who during this time mourn a friend, a brother, a nephew, a niece, a sister, a mother, Father, Lord God, that you would touch their hearts and lives. And Lord God, that may they know your peace. May they know the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, may you use these situations and circumstances to be about your kingdom and eternal work. These may be used to draw people's hearts unto yourself. Lord, this morning I personally know a lot of others in this room too. But you need to draw upon that comfort and that strength. But you are God. You know we don't understand these things. We don't understand God's not being able to come home. Mom's not being able to come home and raise their kids. Lord God, we rest in who you are. You are the faithful one. Lord God, you are, the, you are good. You are glorious and great and gracious. And we rest in your character this morning as we remember these things. And it's because of who you are. We can stand, we can pray, we can sing songs. Even though our hearts are heavy, we can still have joy. Because our our God is in control. And it will always, all these things will bring you glory. And Lord God, we rest in that. And we also rest in the fact that they're good to those who love you and are called to free you. We're thankful for this morning for drawing us here. May this morning just be a sweet, sweet time of praise of adoring you, of resting in you, of studying your word, being touched by the Holy Spirit to challenge our hearts and draw even closer to you. 
Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to mourn and be reminded. Lord God, that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, just a few announcements this morning. Uh, one thing is, is you'll look at your bulletins and you'll see that the, the uh, WANA meeting, or the Wednesday, uh, Wednesday event children's, I'm not sure what we're calling the meeting now, um, it's got moved to June 22nd. Um, Kelsey and I have children still in school, and for some reason the school thinks that you, you only have one child, and so they like to schedule lots of events, right, for that one child, and you have four children, you're like, my goodness, so basically from now... Until when school's out, it's like um, there's no white space whatsoever on the calendar. And so Kelsey and I just kind of looked at each other and said, you know what, let's get beyond school being let out, family gone, and then help me, and we can spend some great time together. So that's June 22nd, um, 6.30 p.m. here at LSE's facilities, and we will get together and talk about that and have some great conversations about it. So make sure just know that that, that change is taking place. Um, I believe, and also one thing that uh, I'm trying to think of, am I missing, am I missing any announcements? Yes? No? Maybe? Okay. Um, really cool to give you an update. I mentioned about the chairs, and we're raising some money for, for chairs in, in the, for the second service. So last, last Sunday we had no room, and we were pulling metal chairs down. Um, and so if you want to sponsor a chair, but we ask that if you sponsor a chair, you're praying for someone to specifically sit in that chair. Um, and to come in and to worship with us. and uh, But right now we've already got 12 chairs, money for 12 chairs raised. So that's, praise God, after just two weeks. And so 13 more chairs we'll put in our order, and we're going to max out that space. And um, I guess we're going to be looking at a third service somewhere along the line. So I appreciate your prayers in that, when that needs to take place. But if we could have our praise team come on up here, music team, and come and lead us and some beautiful music this morning just lean into Jesus Christ.
uh, celebrate some amazing kingdom stories that God's just this kingdom getting put on display, especially in our schools. And um, Anselmo Pacheco this week got the Musician of the Year for Manson High School. And that's pretty amazing. So, uh, I mean, that's probably seen him call him Big Tone. He walks in here, he makes me look like a small child. Um, and uh, Jose just set the record for discus for every division in the state. So some, just some cool stories and things going on. So let's go before the Lord God and just uh, lift our prayer request up before him. Father God, I thank you. Lord, for the great and glorious things that you are doing in and amidst our lives. And as we're watching our children live out their faith and put their faith on display in, in everything that they do. And Lord, even playing an instrument, just showing how you can use those things for your glory. As, as Anselmo was faithful to practice and faithful to, to give his best. Lord God, I thank you for his heart, his passion, his love for you, and his desire to please you. Lord God, I thank you for Jose and how Jose is growing in his faith and how you're using him and, again, his hard work and dedication. And when that practice was long over on Sundays when there was no practice, you find Jose out there pushing himself and desiring to glorify you, even, even in throwing a distance. Lord, it's so amazing to think about how you can use all these things that you love to do. Lord God, thank you so much for loving us this way. And Lord God, may we truly desire and realize that all areas and aspects of our life we desire to be glorified, desire to be praised, we desire to worship you, not just here at at our time on Sunday, but throughout our week, as we rise, as we spend our days, and as we rest. Close our eyes for sin. Thank you. Lord God, I pray for our community. Memorial Day is a fun time of people coming here and celebrating. And I just pray for the, those getting out on the water and those in town. And Lord God, that you have a hand of protection to be over this community. Lord God, for our, our police officers and our first responders as they go to care for those that are injured and those that are needing help. And Lord God, I pray that you watch over them keep them safe. Lord God, thank you for caring for this community and loving this community and placing us here to service. Lord God, please use these tithes and offerings for your glory. Lord God, that as we give to your work, Lord God, may we just be excited to see and anticipate what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
one of my favorite things to hear on a Sunday morning, besides the kiddos in our sanctuary, is the Word of God being opened and pages being flipped. We're turning to Matthew chapter 21 this morning. We're continuing in, in Matthew in our Kingdom People series of Matthew. And understanding the people God is calling us to be. Right now, present. We're going to read quite a chunk this morning, but we're going to um, actually split this chunk of scripture up over two Sundays as we look at it. But uh, Glenn challenged me. Um, he goes, Scott, if people fall asleep when you're reading the Word of God in a long passage, you're not reading the Word of God correctly. So, Roger that, Glenn. Thank you for that challenge. But we're going to read this chapter because it's one thought. We've got several stories and several things going on. And one of the things that kind of does a disservice to the Bible a little bit is all these little headings you get in there because you, you, you might already naturally start to think. Well, that's a different section, or that's broken up, and that. But it, sometimes those things get in the way, and you miss the big thought that's going on. So we're going to read this section of scripture, and with a one big idea that's going on, we're going to spend the next two weeks talking about that idea. So we're going to begin in verse eighteen of Matthew chapter twenty-one. Verse eighteen of Matthew twenty-one. This is right after Jesus cleanses the temple and heals the lame and the blind in the temple, and. This great interaction between the, the chief priests and the scribes. Jesus departs from Jerusalem and heads to Bethany. And he's on his way back from Bethany to Jerusalem. And this is when this event is taking place. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it. He's talking about Jesus here. And he went to it and he found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have to eat. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come from? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it amongst themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. And he said to them, Well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. 
And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. <clears throat> Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard, and he put a fence around it, and dug a wine press in it, and built a tower and leased it to tenants, and went into another country. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits of the season. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The chief priests and the Pharisees heard these parables. They perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for the many ways you teach us through it. For Jesus being such an amazing, wonderful example to us. Teaching in ways that we can understand. Ways that should impact our hearts and change our hearts and challenge us. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we look at this passage and dive into the issues that are going on here, that our hearts will be challenged. Our faith will be increased this day. In Jesus' most wonderful name we pray for the power of the Spirit. When we dive into this text this morning, we're going to be focusing on 18 to 27 and looking at the rest of this week. And maybe as we're reading through the story, you heard some of the elements that kind of tied this whole story together. And the reason why we're going to kind of break this up into two weeks, because I don't want to just rush through this, because there's a lot of imagery and some things to explain. Some of you, when you're hearing these parables and stories of Jesus, you're going, yeah, but what does that mean? He's a great storyteller, and I know it's got to have a profound meaning, because Jesus is saying it, and Jesus, when he speaks, you listen. 
And this is for, for a profound purpose and reason, and it changes hearts and lives. And in one of those hearts and lives and those, those reasons for those changes. So this morning we're going to take our time going through this, and we're just look at verses 18 to 27. And this morning as we look at this passage, we see that Jesus is on his return to Jerusalem from Bethany. Now, if you're going to read Mark's account of this, this event takes place over two days. So when we see something like that, when we see a, a change or not, a, not something that's in a disagreement, but Matthew is focusing on something different than Mark is focusing on for the reader of Matthew. And I believe Matthew is really teaching us what it looks like for Jesus to be king and kingdom people. And he is closely tying the events of what took place within the temple to what is being spoken of by the chief priests and Pharisees in this passage. And he's linking these events closely together. And so when Jesus comes and he returns in the morning, now, now I don't know if Jesus didn't have a good breakfast that morning, and he's already, Bethany wasn't that far from Jerusalem, and he's already hungry, but as we look into this text, what we see on the surface, and we see in a physical sense, there's so much more going on in a spiritual sense of what Jesus is trying to teach. Is it the fact that Jesus is hungry for physical food, or is there something deeper going on, and I would challenge that there is. You see, Jesus has just got done dealing with, oh, I don't know why that jumped through there, right? Sometimes I think these things have a mind of their own. Um, but uh, so as we look at this passage, we begin to see that Jesus has just dealt with the Pharisees and the chief priests and these people who in the temple served daily. The chief priests, the ones who helped others to offer their sacrifices, the scribes, the lawyers who kept making sure everything was legal and the way it was supposed to be. These people, of all the people, should have recognized Jesus. These people, of all people, should have kept the temple a holy place where God was being worshipped. But instead, they permitted and allowed and probably profited from turning the temple into a place that, that hindered and prohibited the worship of God. And now you see this story, this illustration, this parable, if you will, that is taking place. And as Jesus is coming back in, and he sees the fig tree. And you know, oftentimes when you see the fig tree in scriptures, and when Jesus is using this in the stories, fig tree is often representative of Israel, the people of Israel, the leaders of Israel. And so he comes up to this fig tree, and Mark, it tells us that the fig tree was not a season to eat figs. So is Jesus out of his mind here? Jesus of all people, he created all things. He knows when figs grow. He, he made plants to bear in those seasons. Is he? What's going on here? With the fig tree, though, representing the nation of Israel. You see, the nation of Israel should have been a people that no matter when, no matter what season it was, no matter what time of year it was, no matter what age it was, People should have been able to come to Israel and find this relationship that these people had with the Almighty God. And it was so amazing is that the law, oftentimes we look at the law with, with kind of a, a disgruntled or a, a negative perspective. But you begin to think about all the aspects of the law. God wanted the Israelites to praise Him with every aspect of their lives. From their feasts and their celebrations, he wanted them to praise him. 
He wanted when foreigners were visiting Israel during the, the Feast of the Booths or, or the time of Passover or, or the day of First Fruits, when all these things were going on, when these celebrations were taking place, they're going, these people are just praising and glorifying God. And people from around the world, whoever came to Israel, should have been able to digest the spiritual fruit that Israel was bearing to these nations and peoples. The problem was that Israel had long forsaken Bearing of the fruit so that other nations might know who the one true God was. As Israel, instead of being the set apart people, instead of being the holy people set apart for the work of God, they had joined in worshiping the gods of all the neighboring communities, the pagan gods, the idolatry. They started worshiping money. They started worshiping power and position. You look at the Pharisees and the, the chief priests and the scribes that are mentioned in this passage. And these people were not a holy people challenging other Israelites to be holy. They were a people whose hearts were being reflected as they allowed holy and idolatrous things to take place in the temple. Jesus' statement is a terrifying one. May no fruit ever come from you again. We know in Mark's account... That it's the next day that they come back and they see that the tree is withered. But even this 24-hour period for this, this fig tree to shrivel and wither that quickly is astounding to the disciples. When the disciples saw it, they marveled. And they said, how did that fig tree wither at once? Jesus is going to turn this into a wonderful teaching moment for the disciples. There is going to be barriers to being kingdom people. There are going to be those that oppose the proclamation of who Jesus Christ is and what he has come to accomplish. And there are going to be those that stand in the way of that. And some of those people that are going to stand in the way of you proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ are people in powerful position. In fact, they're so powerful and you're so ingrained in your mind to follow them they're kind of like a mountain. But Jesus says, the disciples, when they saw it, they marveled at once, and they how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus said, And truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to this fig tree, but even say to this mountain, no, it's really cool, as I meant to get some pictures and I didn't do it, but as they would have been coming from Bethany to Jerusalem and having this conversation, Mount Zion would have been in front of them. And they would have seen, he said, so this mountain, this idea of this mountain being, Mount Zion being in front of them, and this imagery going on, be taken up and thrown into the sea. It says, it will happen. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, this is another one of those just wonderful verses that have been so abused, and it breaks my heart. You know, people will say, hey, you know, let's pray about something, and then they'll go, hey, let's turn to this passage, because if you, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have enough faith. And people say, so it's a matter of, and I've heard this passage abused, and hear me cl clearly, this is not how this verse should be used. But people will use this in saying, if your prayers aren't answered, you didn't have enough faith. What a horrific statement. So, so if you're, my sister died of cancer, we were praying like crazy for God to heal her. God took her home. So 
Did we not have enough faith? Are you kidding me? That's not what this text is about. You are dealing with a people who are standing in the way of the of, of the nation of Israel, supposed to become the holy people, but the leaders, the religious leaders of those people, are standing in the way of the people from pursuing Jesus Christ. And you've got the disciples being told, "Hey, look, I'm going to do amazing things, and those that stand in the way and oppose the gospel, they will be set aside, so that the gospel will be proclaimed." And if you believe, if you have faith, if you trust in me, guess what? You will watch me remove those in authority and you will watch the gospel spread like fire. You see, whatever you ask in prayer, this idea, this concept of what Jesus is driving at is that we should be a people praying for the furtherance of the kingdom gospel and that those who oppose the gospel would be set aside. Those that oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ would be moved aside so that the gospel would spread and be a flame in our nation and in this world. Jesus is driving it. This idea and this understanding what does it mean to overcome this barrier of those that oppose the gospel. And now some of you may say, I don't know, Pastor. When we look at the next few parables over the ne- over next week, you're going to begin to understand, wait a minute, this passage is sandwiched in between the cleansing of the temple. You've got this story about Jesus telling the disciples, don't be dismayed. Don't be worried. Hey, you're going to do greater things in my name as you pray and as you seek God's power to spread the kingdom of God. That's exciting for me. Because one of the things we may have a hard time, anybody come from a Catholic background, it's okay, we don't throw it, we quote. If you may have a better understanding of this than most of us Protestants, Because there is a reverence for the priests and the church that a lot of us don't have for the church itself as as an institution, as an organism of of being used by God. And, And so for these Israelites, they've been taught since they were this high. You go to the temple and you learn from the priests and they teach you and the scribes and the Pharisees and they teach you and they instruct you in the Torah. You respect them. You obey them. But you have a question in the scriptures. You see, back in those days, they didn't have the Bible in their home. They didn't seem to go into the home, open up the Bible and read from it. They would go to the synagogues. They would go to the temples and they would hear the scriptures read, and they would hear them interpret the scriptures for them so that they might know how to live in obedience to God. They didn't have this in their home. And so all of their instruction, all of their teaching came from these leaders. So they had been taught from the earliest of ages to believe them, to trust them, and to obey them. And Jesus is now revealing the hearts of these leaders are not pursuing him. They do not truly understand the heart and the intention of the law. And that they're going to have to pursue Jesus and Jesus alone. Which is a radical shift. And it's it's hard for us to get and wrestle with in in our American society. Our most powerful thing we have in our lives is the right to vote, right? I choose. I pick. And if I don't like a leader, well, we're going to vote him out. We're going to get rid of him. And and, then these things. Now, good luck with the next choices that we've got. But praise God, he's in control. Amen. And God is saying that still to us today. 
It doesn't matter who sits in the presidency. God is in control. He's telling his disciples, hey, you continue to pray these things, believe these things, have faith in who? Have faith in who? Themselves. They're not faith in who Jesus Christ is revealing to them. It's amazing all the things that he's revealed to them so far. And how he's shown his power, his authority. So Jesus Christ is, is teaching his disciples, listen, whatever you ask in prayer, when you come before me and you see those that are opposing the truth of the gospel of who I am, that I am the Son of God, I am the promised Messiah, and they're going to continue to come. And don't they come? We see the persecution that develops in Jerusalem. We see the persecution that develops in Rome. And in each one of those instances, I'm sure, I know for a fact that the prayers of the saints are being lifted up. And under persecution, the church grows like Christ. We are to have faith, brothers and sisters. And I think that's an appropriate, very appropriate message to us, especially today. I am a proud patriot of my country. But I am a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And I know that the scriptures say that God rises up nations and brings nations down. And I know that whether we're in the United States of America or we're something else, whether we're a democracy or a socialist or communist country, my God is still in control. And that my heart bleeds for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be spread no matter what we call this place for you. See, as Christians, as children of God, we pray for our nation, we pray for our leaders, we ask God to be glorified, but you understand, sometimes God's glory is revealed is when He brings a nation down so that the gospel can be spread because that is the number one thing that should be on our hearts and minds is the spreading of the truth of who Jesus Christ is. He came to redeem all things. And in order for Him to redeem all things, he has got to work His will. And that's why we live. That's why we exist. It's for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we each one play a vital role in that kingdom message, in that kingdom purpose. Jesus has just instructed His disciples. Now, if I'm one of His disciples, I'm a... Yeah! I'm going to do greater things than that. Moving mountains. They're excited. I mean, come on. You can't read this passage a little bit if you're a disciple. You just witnessed this event taking place. And Jesus is saying, you're going to have that kind of authority. And then where do they go? Right back to the temple. Don't miss it. Right back to the temple. Matthew is moving things along rapidly. Right back to the temple. And when he entered the temple, who comes up? Chief priests and the elders. Jesus is, as he reveals the gospel to Matthew and the power of the Holy Spirit, he's making sure we have a clear understanding that these religious leaders, where they stand. And so here they come, the chief priests and the elders. Now, you got to understand, so just if we're following Mark's timeline, just two days ago, Jesus has cleansed the temple. He has cast everybody out of the temple. And he has done this thing. And so maybe the chief priests and the scribes and the other religious leaders, the elders, are a little, little upset about what went on. And this question of authority is burning in their minds. How in the world do you... How do, we're in charge here? 
take place and what's going on in the temple, that's our business. By what authority do you have any right to come in here and do what you did? It's a very valid question from their perspective. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Now, this is a uh, very much a, a way of debating and, and a, uh, a thing that would take place historically in the cultural context to kind of have this debate that one person would be approached with, this teacher would be approached with a question, and then the counter question would be offered, and Jesus offers this great counter question. Jesus answers them. I will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Remember John the Baptist? He, he, he preceded Jesus Christ. He was the messenger that told people that Jesus was coming. And he was baptizing people, telling them to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get ready. It's a baptism of repentance. And, and so people were, were coming to Jesus or coming to John and being baptized, and people were, were, were getting preparing for the kingdom of heaven to come, and Jesus' presence to come, and for him to be revealed. And so they said from the baptism of John, from where did it come from? From heaven or from man? Now, Jesus is at a severe disadvantage, don't you think? One guy, a bunch of, of chief priests and, and elders. So this is a group, this is like, I don't know, several against one. Okay? And so Jesus says, you know, hey, here's a, I'll tell you where my authority comes from. And they're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to set him up so that he can be brought before trial. He can be accused. They can condemn him to death. And Jesus Christ says, okay, I will answer that question for you if you answer me this one. you got to love the discussion that took place amongst themselves. If we say from heaven... He will say to us, Why then did you not believe? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold the promise of prophet. And then so here they enter this discussion dialogue. You see, it wasn't just the, the fact that he came in and he cast out the money changers. These are just a sampling of all the things that Jesus did in the Gospel of Matthew, all these miracles. And, and so what is ultimately being asked here is by what authority, what power does Jesus Christ accomplish all these things? What an amazing time to have been with the walk with Jesus and see these things. You just when you start looking at that list, you're like, amazing. He did all these things, and he had authority over the spiritual realm, authority over the physical realm. He healed people, he fed people, he, he silenced storms, he walks on water. I mean, Jesus has done all he needs. Heals Jairus' daughter. Heals the Canaanite's daughter. I mean, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. The crippled man. The blind woman. All of these things. The mute. you got all of these things. The hemorrhaging woman bleeding for 12 years. And by just touching his garment, just the hem of his garment, she's healed. Amazing things taking place. And it is, they're asking, what authority? What power? Where do you get your power and I would contend the world we live in today is asking the same question. Who is Jesus? Where did, is he, okay, so historically we can see he existed. But was he truly the Son of God? Was he truly the promised one? Was he truly the Messiah? 
does he get his power? Where does he get his authority? Now the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they're trapped. They don't want to believe. Oh my goodness, what a, what a powerful statement. If we say that John's baptism was from God, then we're going to have to believe. We're not allowed to believe. Because for us to believe, we can see, because Jesus is raising this, because you understand, to confess that John the Baptist's baptism is from God, is to confess that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that John was telling everybody was coming. He was bringing the two together. He was saying, if you believe this, then you're going to have to believe this. You can't separate the message. And they are definitely not about to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And definitely not about to agree with it. So Jesus, in his question to them, shows their true heart. They feared the crowds. Who were they supposed to fear? What a contrasting statement. Of all the people, of all the religious leaders, they they should have had a fear for God. But the text says they feared man. They feared the crowd. They didn't have a fear for God. They didn't have a fear for, for what he was doing and where he, the direction he was taking the Israelite people and the peoples of this world. They had more fear for the crowds than they did of God. And what a powerful statement of where the Pharisees were at. And sometimes a place where we're at. We have a greater fear of this world and what this world can do to us. We have a greater fear of losing our jobs, losing our children, losing our spouses, losing our homes, losing our cars, losing our status, losing our job, losing our, our position in a community. As a person who struggled with fear a lot in life, and know what it is to walk around and be more fearful of things to happen than, than to be, have that awe of my God who says, I will take care of you. I will watch over you. I will defend you. I will protect you. You're my child. And a lot of times we act more like the religious leaders of this day than do. The faithful followers of Jesus Christ who Jesus told them, pray. Receive the power from the Holy Spirit that you are able to overcome. And that though you may lose your job, you may lose your house, you may lose your car, you may lose these things, but the gospel of Jesus Christ will prevail. Be my faithful servant. So the answer, Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This morning, I don't know what brought you here. Um, some come to just want to celebrate Jesus and enjoy this time together. Grow in your knowledge and grow in your faith and your relationship with the Lord. And maybe you come this morning to... Because there's a question that's burning on your heart. And maybe this is that question. Who is Jesus Christ? 
Was he truly the Son of God? Was he truly God? Or was he just a man in history? Maybe you're a person here this morning that that for a long time we've been telling people, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in the big guy in the sky. He's watching out for me. And yeah, I know of God. I know what the things he's done. You see, what's what's incredible is the Pharisees, the scribes, the chief priests, the elders, they can put their knowledge of the Bible up against me and any of us probably in this room and just put us to shame. They had an innate ability to earn. They studied the scriptures. They memorized huge a lot of these gentlemen would have the whole Torah memorized. So the first five books of the New Testament, of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, excuse me, the Pentateuch, they had the whole Pentateuch memorized. That's crazy. That's a lot. In Genesis, what, 40 some chapters? We're lucky to memorize like four in a row, like 40. They were brilliant. They were brilliant people that completely missed Jesus Christ. They knew of God. They offered sacrifices to the temple that were meaningless. They obeyed rituals and they, they, they came to the temple and they led other people. They led other people in the sacrifices. And their heart was nowhere near God. They were distant from God. That's, that's terrifying. And maybe you should ask us this morning to drive a question deep within us. Do I just know of God? Do I have a knowledge of Him? Or do I know a God who's radically changed my heart? Because to answer this question, to say that Jesus is from God, that his authority, his work, all those wonderful things that he did, all of those things were coming from the throne of God. Jesus accomplished them because he is God. To say that, to believe that means, should mean that our heart is changed by God to pursue him. And we're going to see that in the next two parables. What it looks like to have a heart that's been changed by God. And how one responds to God. But this morning my question for you is this. Has God, the truth of who Jesus Christ is, fully God, fully man, God incarnate, came down as an infant born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a perfect life without sin. He suffered and died at the hands of Pontius Pilate. And he rose again on the third day. And he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, intervening on behalf of those who are his children. Do you believe that? Because belief isn't just up here. It's something that changes how we live here. Somebody told me something terrifying this week. Somebody who professes to know Jesus. He says, you know, Scott, I just don't really love people. I was terrified. Because to have your heart changed by Jesus Christ, love God and love others. So a sign of that is that we desire to love other people as Christ loves them. Our hearts break as Christ's heart broke for people. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I have no desire for other people. I have no desire to love other people, to be a part of their lives. I have no desire to to bring the gospel message to them. You might need to do a spiritual check. 
Because Jesus Christ comes in and invades our hearts and lives. And he calls us to his gospel work. So that we pray that the gospel message will be spread. And that we, his people, are the avenue, the kingdom people, through which that work is being accomplished. You see, the truth of Jesus Christ matters. Who he is matters. And proclaiming that matters. And having your heart changed by Jesus Christ absolutely matters. This morning, one of the things that a memorial day that we, a phrase that you saw in the video, Crazy often hear people say, especially family members who've lost soldiers and, and loved ones, is let us never forget. You see, making a determination and a decision about who Jesus Christ is and trusting in Him is not a one and done thing. It is something we do every single day of all. And we're not asking Jesus back into our hearts or our don't like that language. We're not trusting in Jesus every day to have salvation again, but it's, it's something we need to reaffirm every single day of our lives. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And as we continue to reaffirm that truth in our lives every single day, He continues to change our hearts and draw us unto Him so that we can be a holy people, a kingdom people set apart by God for His purpose and His work. A kingdom this is a truth we need to continue to profess. It's a truth that we need to continue to proclaim. It's one of the reasons that the early churches said the creeds every single week. To continue to confess the truth of Jesus Christ. I believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven, of all that is means. Creeds go on to teach us about our triune God. It is something we have to continue to profess in our hearts and believe and to share. We are to be proclaimers of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The avenue through which we profess that message that Christ calls us to do is to pray. Pray God to give me opportunities. Pray God to help me overcome those that stand in the way. Father God, I thank you so much for this one, for how you challenge our hearts. And you call us to be your kingdom. In prayer, prayerfully desires to see our faith increase in you as we proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, to watch you overcome obstacles and barriers to that message of who you are. And Lord God, there are authorities in this nation that are scared to us. There are neighbors, there are co-workers, there are bosses that we work with that are scary to us. And as we think about proclaiming the gospel message and, and living that out in all areas and aspects of our lives, we become fearful. Lord, we confess that fear to you today. Lord, we do not want to be a people who fear men, but are in awe and fear our God. And Lord God, we desire to draw close to you. To be a people that correctly answers the question, 
who is Jesus Christ, but authority. Did he do these things with them? We know that they come from the throne of God because Jesus is God. And Jesus' most holy, amazing, wonderful name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. See you.
I think it was three weeks ago now, and handed me a petition. And most of you who know me know I'm not a real political guy. You'll never hear me from the pulpit tell you who you should vote for. I'll tell you to vote along the line of the word of God and conviction. And the petition was to bring a vote before the state of Washington against the transgender bathroom rules. And some of you may, may not like me to bring this up here to church and use the church as a, a platform to talk about this, but I just want to briefly tell you, it is our job to be protectors of children. It is our job to be protectors of, of our women. And, 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 and you know what, men, we don't, we don't need a woman doing in there in our bathroom either. So, you know, we don't need that in our thoughts. Um, and, and so we've got to protect our minds as well. And so um, we're going to try to find that. And so next week when you come in, it will be sitting out. And we'd love for you to sign that petition um, to get that on the ballot so that we might vote against this policy. Um, and I heard somebody make a funny statement. You know, I, I, I identify, I'm a 16-year-old, and I identify as a 21-year-old, so can I go to the bar? And, and I identify... <laughs> As a 40-year-old, I'm a 40-year-old and I identify as a 70-year-old, so can I start collecting Social Security? <laughs> Listen, folks, God made us in His image. And it's for the benefit and for the glory of Him and for us. And so we have to be a people who lovingly speak truth into a world and protect our people. So when, that, when you come through next week, don't be surprised to see that out there. Go ahead and sign it. Thanks so much for joining us. We'd love to read this passage here from Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as himself. Yes, the world is established. It shall be never moved. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. Thanks so much for joining us.